Hello, everybody, and welcome to Clothe Men Discuss Bare Naked Ladies. I am Chris Small. Today, I am wearing a pair of shorts with palm trees on them, an Ultimate Warrior t-shirt, where I have separated the artist from the man, and a Melbourne Aces ball cap, who are the current winners of the Claxton Shield in the Australian Baseball League. It's a league of only eight teams, so it's not that big of a deal, but the Shield's really impressive. Uh, that's super, super awesome. I have several questions about the content of your wardrobe today. Namely, that cool sounds like a cool baseball team. And secondly, as a non-wrestling fan, what happened to the Ultimate Warrior? I probably don't want to know. Oh, that could fill up an entire episode of its own. But he essentially changed his name to Warrior Warrior because he <laughs> assumed that that's how IP rights worked. You know, I get the name Warrior back. And he also started doing public speaking circuits where he told infamously one class, queering it up doesn't make the world work. Oh, geez. Yeah. No, I don't like that guy. That's not great. That's bad. That's bad. And I am Ephraim Ellis. And today I am wearing a pair of green chinos, a The Killers t-shirt uh, that I wish I could say I got at a concert, but I did not. I ordered it online. And a uh, green knitted cap that my sister made for me that I am wearing indoors because I'm a cool, cool guy. Nice. And if it makes you feel any better, I doubt that anyone will be buying t-shirts at concerts for a very long time now. It's like, oh, except I did in early December. You got in while the going was good. And who did you see, Ephraim? I went to the Bare Naked Ladies Hometown Holidays Tour. If by tour, I mean, no, it wasn't a tour. It was the residency at uh, Toronto's uh, CAA Theater on Young Street, where they're doing a really, really cool uh, series of holiday concerts where they played only a couple songs from the new album and a bunch of the Christmas stuff that they're doing. Uh, they had a bunch of really, really cool backdrops. It was great. And I was in the front row because it was a Christmas present from my mother-in-law, I cannot believe the amount of money she spent on those tickets. It was really, really great. And because Megan was out of town and because all of my friends who live in Toronto who are Bare Naked Ladies fans, all, most of them have children. Therefore, I could not go to the concert with anyone. I went by myself and it was great. You have some very cool in-laws and... I mean, we're not talking about the Holiday album this episode. That's definitely a stay tuned, but I would be remiss to say that that album, holy crap, still slaps. It is 100% like my favorite Christmas album, probably because it's like the first like Christmas Christmas album I got into and made me realize that, oh, it isn't like not all Christmas music that is produced is just like carbon copy factory made kind of crappy, you know, poppy stuff that they play on Chum FM. 24-7 for the eight weeks up to Christmas. And they played a couple of songs from their new album, you said, which is what we're talking about this week. That is Detour de Force, the almost brand new album from the Bare Naked Ladies, released on July 16th, 2021. Less than a year ago as of this recording. Less than six months ago as of this recording, actually, so very recent. Uh, number one song on the Billboard 100 that week, Butter by BTS. We have now gone into a territory that uh, your old hat in Ephraim. I don't know anything about this song. I don't know anything about this band, except they're the most popular band in the world, apparently. Um, I have heard that song, but only because I think they played it live on Colbert one night. I thought you were going to say because the Bare Naked Ladies covered it at the concert you were at. No, 
Absolutely not. They're known for their covers. <laughs> That's true. So everything I know about BTS, I think, has either come from that one episode of The Late Show with Stephen Colbert or billboards for McDonald's around the city because they had that weird tie-in promotion where, for some reason, their Nuggets meal was BTS-themed for a couple weeks. I still don't get it. I don't either. You know, I'm sure that they're incredibly talented and good for them. And I think it's absolutely amazing that they are pioneering international acts, making it big in North America, etc. But for being the biggest band in the world, I don't think I've still heard a single song by them. Oh, sorry, except for that My Universe song that's out right now. I was just Coldplay. about to say that. I was really, really excited to hear that song because I still do really like Coldplay a lot, even though I'm more of like a middle period fan. We talked about this on the pod before. The electronic stuff, eh, I'm not as excited about. So I don't know why I thought them teaming up with BTS would be a really good song, but I was excited about it. And it's not a great song. I don't like it a lot. I don't. It's not my thing. It's not my thing. I don't know. It's very inoffensive, which is, I think, what BTS's whole wheelhouse is. Yeah. The number one song of 2021 as a whole, Levitating by Dua Lipa. Again, never heard it. And I think this is really funny because this really speaks to me being in a foreign country. For me, anyways, because this song, spoilers, was huge in America and Canada, apparently. But I don't think it was... It definitely made it here because Dua Lipa's huge. But... I don't think it was played nearly as much as other songs because I would not be able to tell you how it went. Have you heard this song? Uh, No joke. In the other window while you were just talking, I just said, Google, who is Dua Lipa? (laughs) I've... <laughs> shows you how much I am tuned into the zeitgeist. Have you ever I, heard of this song, Ephraim? Ever hear of the artist? Let's go back. I have never heard of the song. I have heard the name of the artist. I did know she was a lady, but I, uh, other than just knowing that she is a female pop artist, I, I don't know anything else. Um, about Dua Lipa. She may or may not be in a polyamorous relationship with Taika Waititi. I did see those pictures because I am a Taika fan. So that was confusing. Uh, The number one song on the Canadian Billboard 100 the week of July 16th. This one I have definitely heard. Bad Habits by Ed Sheeran. That song, again, heavy rotation in my house. Wife is a massive Ed Sheeran fan. And it's catchy as hell. I'm not going to lie. Again, I think I've talked about this on the pod before. Like, I've always thought of Ed Sheeran as kind of like a Justin Bieber type character to me, insofar as that he is a major famous pop star, that I know who he is, I know what he looks like, I know what type of music he's famous for, but like everybody else on this list we just went through, I have never heard a single one of his songs. And the number one song of 2021 in Canada, Levitating by Dua Lipa. Again, this is probably me being, getting into that curmudgeon state, but I just, yeah, I'm going to have to go back and listen to this afterwards, and maybe I'll insert something being like, I did know this song, or I'll do a post-credits afterwards. Um, I also just needed to look it up for a second. So I was also very confused as to exactly who Dua Lipa is, because there's a song on the Mountain Goats record from 2000 and... Five, which means she would not have been around yet, called Dinu Lepati's Bones. And I kept on thinking, like, Dua Lipa's Bones. That's what that song is, right? <laughs> 
And I'm like, that can't be what I'm thinking of. Who is this person? Uh, I'm out of touch. We're doing a Bare Naked Ladies podcast. This is not news. We are doing a Bare Naked Ladies podcast. And the three singles from that album that did not chart are Flip, New Disaster, and Good Life. All sung by Ed Robertson. Surprise, surprise. Uh, But Good Life does have a pretty good hook by Tyler Stewart. Ah, now here is a very good segue into that, Ephraim, is that I don't have any thoughts about any of these singles because I actually have not heard any of these singles because this is part of what we're doing. This is the first episode in season two, as we're calling it now. Uh, We started this podcast about a year and a half ago. We've gone through the back catalog as it was up until that recording. So it was a cool, unique opportunity, kind of shows the longevity of the Bare Naked Ladies. They're still putting out music. And we have this opportunity now to listen to Detour de Force. Now, poor Ephraim is very, very patient. Listeners who have stuck with us can really tell who's edited an episode of the podcast, whether it comes out in a week or two or whether it comes out in a month or two, really says who was on the editing reins at that time, me being the slacker, unfortunately. Chris, we've both got a lot going on. I think it's fine. (laughs) I think it just increases the anticipation Ah. if there's a five-month gap between episodes. Absence makes the heart grow fungus, as... Stephen Page said. There you go. But I believe it was your lovely wife, Megan, who had the very cool idea to say, why don't we listen to this album live on the air? And why don't we do a blind reaction, as it were, or just kind of listen to it in real time, the two of us, and rather than talk about what we think of each song, just really give our thoughts, first impressions, right after listening on the air. So that's what we're doing. Yeah, uh, that was her weird idea that we've decided to go with and run with. I'm very excited to do it. Yeah, it's going to be strange. It's going to be strange. It's going to be cool. And I bring up the patience thing because Ephraim and Megan brought this idea to me in September 2021. And then (laughs) Ephraim, God bless him, has been sending me emails saying, so... I know that we're busy and no pressure, but I've got this really cool vinyl of the new album and I'm putting off listening to it. Yeah, because in early December, when I went to that holiday show, guess what? One of the only vinyls that they had on sale at the merch table was the new record. And I, that's really cool and I really wanted to listen to it, but I had committed to this bit for our season two premiere. I have not listened to that double record yet. And I believe one of your concerns also was I'm going to this show because you had told me very jealous about seeing the concert. So now that you've said they did play a couple of new songs, I'm imagining you either ran to the washroom or stuck your fingers in your ears and screamed. Don't ruin my illusions. I definitely had that much commitment and moral purity when I was approaching this weird podcasting exercise. I threw in some earplugs and just kind of got a visual impression of where the songs were going. That's not true. I've been spoiled on six of 14 songs from this record. Imagining now you actually doing that and just plugging your fingers in your ears and screaming while you are front row of a Bare Naked Ladies show. But again, not not to put off getting into the live listen for any further than we have. So I have been spoiled on six of these following 14 tracks. Two of them, two of the singles, I have listened to multiple times because they came out before yes. uh, we decided to do this live listen. Two of them I listened to once live at the Christmas show, and two of them I have not heard the Bare Naked Ladies version, but uh, on Donovan Woods' latest record, oh. Donovan Woods co-wrote 
two of the songs on this record with Ed Robertson, and they both individually put their versions of that song on their own records. So two of these songs, I have heard the Donovan Woods version, and I have no idea how Ed's going to sing them. It's very funny because I feel you might be let down because Donovan Woods, holy crap, voice of an angel, amazingly talented guitarist. Oh my God, he's so good. He's so, so So good. So what I have heard from the album, though, is that... Pretty much from every fan, I belong to a Bare Naked Ladies Discord discussion group. Universal acclaim. It really does sound, and I'm excited about this, but I've heard nothing but positive things. Have What have been your impressions, or have you heard any professional reviews? I have heard uh, zero professional reviews or buzz or fan buzz or fan reviews of any of the songs or content of this record. My only impressions are, again, hearing like those two songs at the concert. I'm not a huge fan of the album art. I don't know. Eh, the font is a bit silly for me. Again, you know me. I'm not a huge fan of the Jokey Boys. But my one impression that I have so far, again, because I have listened to the second single, New Disaster, a million times since it came out before we decided to do this live listen thing, that song has made me more excited about the band, the Bare Naked Ladies, than I have been in, like, several records, like, since Grinning Streak, I think. New Disaster is definitely my favorite ba- Bare Naked Ladies song since Grinning Streak. And I'm very excited to see if anything else goes up on that high scoreboard as we listen yeah very cool that gives me a lot of excitement for that and i think it's actually it's funny because the way that the album's structured is all three singles are the first yeah. three tracks of the album so you talk about that mountain goat scale front loading one or more members of the band definitely listen to i only listen to the mountain goats and got john darniel's advice on how to sequence records so before we get into that listen a couple of talking points about the album it began the recording process at ed robertson's cottage in the muskokas in february 2020 and halted in march 2020 for some odd reason yeah what was what happened anything of note i don't know they only got a month of recording uh this is going to be a time capsule of a very weird couple of years yeah. in the world, which affected everyone and is still affecting everyone. But, oh, God, hopefully we can go back and listen to this. That time period when a bunch of white male comedians in their mid-30s started podcasts. <laughs> yeah, that's what happened. Exactly. Yeah, weird phenomenon. Uh, So, yes, recording then resumed after things had died down a little bit in terms of case numbers of the COVID-19 pandemic, as we're talking about, between June and August 2020 in Toronto. Uh, Funny enough, this album was actually meant to be stripped down and a more basic album. The intention was, let's go to the Muskokas, let's record it, and then we'll take maybe maximum a week in the studios and we'll just shape it and we'll put some professional touches on it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's kind of like a kind of like a let it be kind of situation that they were going to like try to record like the whole record in a week that's cool yeah now i'm imagining ed robertson playing get back spontaneously while kevin hearn and jim creek and just look <laughs> at him oh my god i watched that whole documentary and it was both riveting and the most boring thing i've ever watched nothing happens for eight hours but i couldn't stop watching it was riveting it's very funny when you hear all these stories about the animosity and the supposed just tension that was happening during the Let It Be recordings. And you watch it and you just go, oh yeah, there's definitely some passive aggressiveness being thrown around, but everyone's quite cordial and they still very much enjoy each other's company. And I'm just like, is it just that they're really British and they're too polite to say what's on their mind? But 
or like just the kind of regular amount of animosity you'd have with people that you're really close to and know really well. Yeah. Yeah. Like family, families are like that. Close friends are like that. Bands are like that. I, don't know. I remember they would, they'd be a lot like, oh, John's late again. I'd be like, yeah, you'd probably be pissed off he was late, even if you were in like the, the honeymoon phase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's very interesting because that's not what this album became because they, of course, had more time at that stage. So they spent a couple of months in the studio, as I said, between June and August. So the result is what we got. And it's very interesting because I can't speak to what we got. And I guess that's a good segue. Should we get into our live listen? Let's find out what we've got on our hands here. Let's find out if we like this record. So the way that this will work for everyone listening is that we're going to listen to the tracks in their entirety, Ephraim and I, but we're going to pause recording because for legal purposes, because we don't want, if, if one of our 30 unique listeners is a lawyer and works for CanCon, we don't want to have a lawsuit on our hands. And I don't want to have to be beatboxing over the entire track, the like every single track as we go in order to camouflage that. That for our legal team. Ephraim is an actor and his voice is his tool, therefore we cannot risk him just blowing it out at this stage, beatboxing for a solid three hours. So this will record and hear to people as our normal episodes, but basically once we come back, you're going to hear exactly what our thoughts are right off the bat. So let's get into it. Track one, Flip. Am I coming off like my hips don't stink? Come on, Flip. We have just listened to Flip. Thoughts? Uh, this is one of the ones that I had already listened to a bunch of times because it had come out before we decided to do the live listen. I liked it a lot more than when I originally listened to it because back when it first came out, I was like, ah, sweet, new Bare Naked Ladies single. And I listened to it and was kind of underwhelmed. Hmm. But I think it's nice and hooky. I think it's fun. And I think there's specifically two things I don't like about it. And if you got rid of those, I would like it like like it would jump up a full letter grade. I'm not a huge fan of the like, the, come on, flip, flip, like the like the, the second <laughs> flip, like the chorus flip in the background, because it sounds a little big bangy to me. Mm. Like it kind of sounds like the sound that they had for like their more commercial stuff. And I think in general, they lean on. Oh, too much. Not just in this song, but there's like a couple songs on the previous two records. Or there's there's too many oh 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 ohs. That is very funny because I put down the whoa oh oh thing, saying that Ephraim's probably not gonna like this based on did I say that out loud <laughs> off of Grinning Streak. So I'm glad that that was validated. I'm glad that I know your tastes. Yep. yep. I'm very similar to you. So I hadn't listened to any of the singles actually. I think which is weird because it they came out before we did agree to do this. But I just for lack of we've talked about this when new music comes out for bands I really like, it's kind of an odd thing where I sometimes psych myself out from listening. Yeah. And so then when we had this idea, I went, oh, great. So I'm very similar to you. I have almost identical opinions. I think it's very catchy. I think it's good for the first song. And I completely agree with them going to the well for a lot of previous ideas. Specifically, I didn't pick up on the flip thing, but for Bang, it, but now that you've said it, I can't 
unhear it, which yeah. is very funny. Yeah. And also, the entire thing sounds very similar to Get Back Up from Silverball, which oh. is the cadence of it, Ed's kind of rapping, even, honestly, even the message of the song, to be completely honest. I do really like the church and the chorus part at the mm-hmm. where he starts singing, you know, this is the church, yeah. this is the steeple. I think that that's actually quite beautiful and it's very hooky. And it does have that catchability, but I think the sinister side, (laughs) the cynical (laughs) side of me agrees with what you said, where you can tell that they're really reaching into their old bag of tricks. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting that this was, it makes sense that it would be a lead-off single. It sounds like that, having not heard anything else in the album, but... Mm -hmm. If I was listening to this album for the first time, like I am right now, it makes a lot of sense that a song like this would be what the first introduction is. Yeah, and I like that comparison to Get Back Up, but I just, I don't know, I find Get Back Up is a little bit grungier. Mm. Like, not the genre grunge, but like, it's just like, it's got a bit of a harder edge to it. Um, And this is like, really, really nice and bright. And I kind of like the little bit of edge from Get Back Up better than just the full-on bright poppiness of this. I think I agree, and I think I know what you're talking about, especially that really cool guitar riff and Get Back Up. Yeah. The beginning instead of flip. Bang! Bang! Flip! (laughs) Oh, it's so funny. Next time that A Big Bang Theory rerun comes on, I'm just going to go flip Flip. at the beginning. What are your thoughts about his rapping in this intro? Oh, just in the, like, off the top of Just in the song, yeah. Um, my thoughts are it didn't strike me particularly as rapping as much as some of his other rapping stuff does. I had to just clarify what your question was, which means I don't think it struck me very hard as rapping. And also strikes me as getting much older. What would you think of his rapping? That's not rapping, Chris. <laughs> he wasn't mumbling. There wasn't trap beats. Trap beats. All right. Shall we get into the second song? Yes, absolutely. Track two, Good Life. It's a good, it's a good, it's a good life. Wasn't easy, but it turned out alright Wouldn't trade it for another Brothers and sisters, you don't want to miss this mother You ride a poem right to the top All right, first impressions. I take it back. Ephraim, what are your thoughts on that rap? (laughs) I did, because I am taking live notes as we're listening so I can remember what I want to talk about when we come back from listening to it. I wrote down, now this is a rap bridge. And there was like a little bit of accordion in the background with the beat. It's fucking great. It's amazing. I think that sums up my exact thoughts of this song. Fucking great. That is an amazing single. I'm very... (laughs) Very impressed. I love a literal song sometimes. Very much so. It's so funny because if you look at it in the context of a rap song, even though it's the rapping bridge, most of hip hop is about fame and success. And you talk about those things. And talking about yourself. Yeah. Like, and it's not, it's like not couched in metaphor. I think you're like, you're literally talking about yourself as a rapper and big upping yourself. And that's this, but also as like a folk rock song with some. He's kind of like mid upping himself. Like I love the, you know, one week was the high peak, but made a lot of money. So I'm just like, yeah, all right. The fact that he calls it out, they've been together for three decades, which is insane. Yeah. And I also love the fact that it's a piano-based song. Oh, yeah. It's piano-backed the entire time. 
also kind of gives that hip-hop-esque thing to it. You know, it's almost like a beat. You've got that piano keys. And the vocal distortion effects are awesome. Yeah. Both in the chorus, the, oh, it's a good life. But also there's a bit of it going on with the actual vocals, too. That's where the song, the only moment where it almost lost me was when the first chorus hit. They took away the vocal distortion from the first uh, verse. And when they went into the hook, the distortion went away. And I was like, nah, I don't like this as much. I missed the distortion. But then it came back. It won me back really, really fast. (laughs) I think that this one's gonna grow on me i was skeptical hearing how literal the lyrics are where they're just literally singing about themselves like and it's not couched in any motive war but i think it's really gonna grow on me and another fun fact that i learned at that concert when they're introducing this song um apparently when ed played this song for tyler the first time immediately after the song ended tyler just went oh yeah documentary channel banger <laughs> If they do an A&E biography about them, which I'm sure they have already, but yes, this would be the yes. final two minutes just going through it. Sweet montage happening. I was kind of surprised that they were able to yet again talk about how they're kind of still sad about the trajectory of one week and their fame and still make it interesting, but I liked it this time. It was good. <laughs> what are your thoughts, unless I might have missed something upon first listen? It seems to me that there was an absence of any mentions of Steve in this. I have not looked that closely at the lyrics. Thinking about it though, do you think that that is a respect thing? Or do you think that that is deliberately, not deliberately insulting, or do you think it's actually a bit tactless of them? I think it can be interpreted either way, but not including him seems kind of interesting for a biopic song. Um, Except the fact that he doesn't go out of the way to mention anybody else specifically as individuals. It sounds more like they're talking when he says, that's a good point, like doesn't know who I am. Like he could be talking about either the entire song is just Ed talking about Ed or it's Ed talking as the band in general, at which point the speaker is then like the collective of the band. And then I don't think you have to like go into details about like individual parts of that collective so that didn't i don't think that would bother me and i don't think it would bother steve that's a really good point i think every song that's about a bitter breakup or a jilted lover where we look at it through the lens of steve and then there's a literal song it's just ah this could have been the one we talked about but no oh yeah and last thing yeah like tyler's hook of the because he's the one doing the oh with the good life at the end of the chorus freaking great yeah put that guy right at the front of the stage Track three and the third single, because again, we're front stacking them. Oh, is this song is so good. This song is so good. New Disaster. It's in the presentation. It's prestidigitation. It's kick the can, slide of hand, fear and outrage on demand. Here comes the new disaster. Here comes the end of days. Next up to So, you said you love this song. Now I've listened to it before I share my opinions. Uh, tell me, do you still love it after listening to that? And why? Uh, I very much still love that song after listening to that. I've been listening to it nonstop ever since the single came out. Um, I think it's great. I feel like the tone is kind of like the opposite of Good Life and Flip so far. I really like how kind of like gritty and angry and defiant the song sounds 
that like really makes me excited because that's not a tone that they normally go for. Yeah, and those are some OOOs I can get behind. <laughs> Freaking works. It's awesome. I love it. Um, I don't really like how close those OOOs come to so close to after flip now that I'm listening to it in sequence, but like, eh, who cares? I, yeah, I think it's great. I love everything about this song except for like one or two things. I put that down as a note as well. The bridge of the shouts, the whoa ho hos I'm like, these are good whoa ho hos Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the guitar riff is great off the beginning. Um, I share your sentiment. I think this is an amazing song. It's really, really good. Yes, friends agreeing on things. Also, specifically for, again, just the balls of Ed Robertson sometimes, it's in the presentation, the prestidigitation. Prestidigitation, that's right. Which is a wizard cantrip in D&D and also just a regular word, Um, but. (laughs) I love that description. And also just a regular word too. It's true. (laughs) But that's just, again, how many people but Ed Robertson could get away with that. That's pretty good. Yeah. I also, this song definitely is talking about a lot of things, I'm sure, and you can easily cast your own view on it, but very topical song right now. Yeah. I think it's kind of needed right now. It's, if, I'd be very curious to know when it was recorded. If it was recorded during those first months, that's cool. But if not, like, this could very much be an anthem for the pandemic that we're currently in right now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure this isn't what they were thinking, but they're like, oh, hey, our last record was a joke on the phrase fake news because we called it fake nudes. And then like six months into the pandemic. Oh, wait, no, actually, social media and our phones are terrible. We should write an entire song about we shouldn't make light of fake news. It's a it is a bane on society's existence. Oh, sweet God. Which, by the way, the reaction to the pandemic has done nothing to dispel that. Absolutely hasn't. Nope. Social media and phones are just the worst in terms of dispelling proper information. And oh, God, we're living in a hellscape. Yep. Well, on that note, should we go to track four? Oh, the only two things. No, that's not true. Sorry. The one, one thing I don't like in this song, the song loses me when he goes the they're killing it at retail and he does that like going up at the end of the sentence. Yeah. Because he just sounds, the tone of that line when he says it makes it sound as if like, ah, look how clever I am. And I'm like, that's not even the best rhyme in the song. Why are you putting a big exclamation point at the end of that line? Um, but everything else about the song is perfect. And also, I wonder if you think right towards the end of the bridge, the line, fear, fear, disappear, we don't need you back in here, save the forest, save the whales, that whole bit sounded almost exactly like kind of like the pattern of... Um, like End of the World as We Know It by R.E.M. Yes. And I was wondering if I feel like maybe it's an explicit reference to that song because <laughs> the song is kind of about like a, there's lots of references to like apocalyptic sort of stuff in the song. So I was wondering, do you think that's that's a specific reference or just a coincidence? If it isn't, it's a weird coincidence that I picked up on that too because yes, I had that same thought. I'm like, this is very Michael Stipey yeah. as he was doing that little bit. And I'm like, yeah, it gave me huge End of the World vibes. So... I think so, because, I mean, Ed Robertson has not been shy about talking about who some of his inspirations are, and I know that he takes a lot from R.E.M. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, I'd like to think that that was an homage. Nice. Track four is Big Backyard. All I ever wanted was a big backyard With a porch for your mother and a deck of cards Eighteen chickens and a St. Bernard And a cat named Rudy Backyard in the big backyard. Yeah. 
All right, so I'll give my thoughts in a second, but because we're doing this uh, in real time and you didn't hear, I think my favorite part of this entire listen was Ephraim just in the background going, oh, Jesus, it's four minutes, which is a good a good segue into what you thought of this song. I, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's not terrible. I think there's a lot of stuff to like about this song, but... I don't think I could listen to it very regularly because I feel like listening to it over and over again could get really annoying really fast. Yeah. I don't have anything objectively against, like, you know, like, sweet pastoral songs. But I don't know. Yeah. I don't like it very much. I'm sorry, Kevin. Oh, man, I've got so many things to unpack in this. Uh, you tell me, because I've got a lot of, like, specific little fiddly notes. Like, my general feeling is like, yeah. I think we're in the same camp with that. Although, I will say, at the end, I did catch us both kind of nodding along. Yeah. It does get kind of catchy. I think repetition is key sometimes, because, again, just all I ever wanted was a big backyard. Mm-hmm. It gets annoying, and then it gets hooky. And then annoying, and then I think it ends on hooky again. And then it gets a little sweet with the twist of the all I really wanted was a home. And I'm like, yes. okay, that twist, like, poetically, is like, that's pretty good, Kev. Huge. That, that one's, that's pretty good. I like that. Huge, exactly. I, it's very funny because I was kind of going the same way. I'm just like, oh, it's Kevin Hearn just singing about what he sees. Classic Kevin Hearn. And I was just like, oh, is he just jealous that Jim Cregan got to write a song about his home? And he's like, oh, hold my beer. And then when he talks about my daughter in the backyard and all I really wanted as a home, I go, well, shit, now don't I feel like a dick? Because that is very sweet and it probably was a very heartfelt song. Oh. You think about it, and we've talked about this, is that that guy has had a very rough life. Yeah. Like, he's been very successful, but I mean, just with cancer, with accessibility issues that his daughter has. And he probably is thinking that his life isn't very conventional. It's, you know, mm. he's a touring musician. He's gone through a lot of hardships and he's a very simple person. And I say that in the nicest way that this is just what he wants. And if this is him pining for that idea of just having this place to set down roots and a place that he can be with his daughter, that is incredibly sweet. I also think it's a very interesting song musically. I think there's a lot going on and the musicianship is pretty cool. I don't know how else to describe this, but the last thing I wrote down was musically, it's pretty great, except the melody, Mm. which I don't know how that makes any sense because like, which you'd think that the melody would be like the main thing musically about a song that has a singer, but like all the instrumentation, all the stuff going in the background, everything that isn't literally the melody line is great musically. And it's really, really interesting. That piano bridge is awesome. Yes. I really dig the piano bridge, yeah. You said R.E.M. vibes in the last song. Did you get a bit of Great Big C at the beginning before it kicks in with the vocals and the clapping? Oh, with the... Yeah, now that you say that. Huh. I can see that now, but not as much. The vibes it was giving me, and maybe it's just because it was talking about physical things and houses and yards and things, it was giving me like a Crosby, Stills, and Nash, like our house kind of feeling, but that might just be the lyrical content. I'm also just imagining you, noted fan of story songs, and just all I ever wanted was a big backyard, and you just going, get to the point! <laughs> There's no story here! There's no conflict! And then, But no, but then there is conflict with the all I really wanted was a home. 
this is one of the ones that was spoiled for me at the holiday concert. And I do remember noting because I was really excited to listen to the rest of the album after hearing New Disaster. And I was like, oh, no, I hope the rest of the album isn't more of this one. Ugh. Yeah, because at the concert, I was like, why did they choose to put this one in the set list? Well, and also that bodes kind of or I have a sense of foreboding now about the other Kevin Hearn yeah. tracks, because if that is the one that they chose or like the lead off yeah. Kevin Hearn track. The only other thing I have to say about this song um, is a cue that barbs fuck right off, man. Like, <laughs> I can't. I, I just, I can't deal with that. No, no. Listen, we can't <laughs> praise one BNL member for his witty wordplay and then come down hard on another one who's just trying his best. <laughs> when you put it that way, it does sound mean. I don't want to be, ugh, I don't want to be mean, but that line... No, I don't like it. That didn't even stick out to me. Oh, man, just the disdain you had for that made me... Oh, that gave me a very good chuckle. That's great. Track five, Live Well. Because I'm alive Doesn't mean I lived well Just means I got back up every time that I fell I've got the scrapes Cuts and bruises I know the mistakes that takes your thoughts Country banger Yes, exactly That was the very first thing I put Country banger of a different variety It's not the acoustic country banger That we're used to with Ed Robertson It's got like some like It's not slide guitar But there's enough like echo And I don't know guitar pedal names. I'm not a real musician, but like it wasn't slide guitar, but there was enough effects on the lead electric that it sounded sort of slide guitar-ish. There was something about like the echo and there was kind of a, a, a cleanness to the tone. I'm learning to play guitar during this pandemic. I've always wanted to, and I've only just learned my second chord. So the fact that you're like, I don't know this pedal, don't worry, you're, you're leaps and bounds ahead of me. That's for sure. <laughs> What's your second chord? The A chord. I can go from an E minor to an A chord now. Mm, that's very, very good. But it means I can play For What It's Worth by Buffalo Springfield and About a Girl by Nirvana. Nice. The one time that like I'm like an actor and I do sing. You do. Very well. I did do one solo cabaret show once, but I wanted to accompany myself and I'm not a very good guitarist and I can't play piano. So I arranged the entire show to just use G, C, D, and E minor because <laughs> I know other chords, but those are the ones that I'm like really good at. So I just figured out how to play 13 songs moving the capo around that I was only using those shapes. And I think think I fooled everyone in the audience but my brother-in-law. I was going to say, side note, you're being very modest. You are a very good player because I was unfortunately out of the country for that show, but I watched on YouTube and I was incredibly impressed. Thank you. Again, all smoke and mirrors. (laughs) This song is very much in their catalog to me of, ah, jokey boys, am I right? Because this is a heavy song. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like content-wise is like similar to Good Life, but like the opposite. Yes, it gives me a um, another band I really like, Cold War Kids. It gives me a very We Used to Vacation vibe, uh, which is one of their biggest songs. And that song was about the lead singer talking about the alcoholism of his father in the early days and how it affected him. So I'm really curious to kind of do a deep dive into these lyrics with you and what you think, because my interpretation off the bat is... 
if this is about his dad or if this is about someone he knew because notoriously we've spoke that ed robinson does not drink he doesn't do drugs pinball is his vice has that always been the case though? i believe so 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 this is the thing that i'm interested oh. in so do you think that the lyrics indicate that he was drinking and this is something that he did or did this happen to him or was he involved in an accident as a passenger were either of his parents involved in an accident and was that incident at a young age that got him to not drink or do drugs one more thing before i sorry open up the floor to you because i might be rambling a bit here no please continue to ramble whenever i like first listen to things i always gravitate to the music and like the emotionality and the tone of the song first you're saying all of these things that i did not immediately pick up on because i've only listened to the song the one time so i'm saying like wait it was about that and i'm just like furiously googling the lyrics in the background it's gonna be like oh my god that song is so dark because i didn't catch any of this stuff because we're doing a first listen but i also love it because i talk about the lyrics but then you talk about you know oh well it's got this slide guitar thing and you can talk about the music and the emotion which is amazing but it's another car accident song in their catalog. And the fact that we know that Ed Robertson's brother died in a motorcycle accident, and they've done a lot of these songs, like, is this just another cathartic process for them? There's just a lot to unpack here. So so thoughts? Yeah, there's something about it that does make it seem like it is autobiographical and coming from like a real lived experience place, as opposed to like writing a song about a character. Mm-hmm. But... Wow, yeah, I don't know. Especially because, again, just listening to it the first time, I thought he was talking, because I was mostly hearing the lyrics when it got to the mm. chorus. So I thought it was more generally talking, kind of like, again, the opposite of good life, being like, ah, oh, there's been some stupid things I've done in my life, too. Yeah. Like, I thought it was kind of like a- an answer to that first song, but I think you're right that it's maybe he's talking about someone else. Well, especially the very first two lyrics of the song are looking back at my childhood, what was he thinking? He's saying, what was he thinking? Yeah, see, I thought when I first heard that, I thought he was referring to like his past self. Himself in the third person. But I think you're right. Now that I look at it closer, I, I think I'm wrong. I think you're right that he's, he is somebody else. Probably his dad. Yeah, it's just really interesting because it could be either way. You're, you're right. He could have possibly at a very young age, maybe he'd get into a car accident and that's what swore him off of drinking, yeah. doing drugs ever again. But it does sound like, especially in the interviews that I've heard, you'd think that someone who goes through that would advocate mm-hmm. drinking and driving and just kind of talking about that. Now, I get that he's a private person and yeah. perhaps he doesn't want to be an advocate for things like that because it's too raw for him. But I really do think that it could be something in his childhood that just really said, okay, well, I'm never touching those things. Yeah. And pinball will be my vice. Uh, This is all pure conjecture and theories, but I like it and I find it really interesting. And I really like this song. It's really good. I really, really like this song a lot. It's really, really good. It is very funny because I did say as well, just yeah, Ed Robertson country banger, but a very different one. And Mm -hmm. even when you do look at not just the slide guitar, not just the way that he's singing, the lyrical context, it could be a country song. Yeah. It's just about living hard, like talking about your your demons. To the point where I thought for a second, and again, I, I can't believe I thought this now that I've looked at the lyrics more closer because it does seem so much more personal now that I look closer at the lyrics. But before the end of the first course, I was like, was he writing this for someone else and then decided to do it himself? Because it seems so more like, like an album track on like a pop country artist's record. It's really good. I also thought about that too, because then I had to look up and I went, 
was there a co-writer for this? Me too. I did the exact same thing. I was like, did he write this with like Kenny Chesney or something? Uh, shall we move on? Yeah, absolutely. Track six and the title of the song is giving me a bit of apprehension. Flat Earth. <laughs> really liking this album so far and I'm worried that you don't like this track because of the tone of your voice when you said thoughts. No, I really do. I think that it's a really cool song. I think the, the wordplay is great. I'm feeling really dumb though because I thought I was following the narrative of the song and then I just completely lost the plot of what was happening in that song. The whole like I have no idea what that song was about except that he was in a barbershop there was a girl there and then something happened. My interpretation of the lyrics is I think it's a very sardonic love song mm-hmm. or just a love song in the way that only the bare naked ladies can do a love song. But I think this is about the one that got away. Yeah. I think this is very much about someone maybe a bit too opinionated or has a closed mind about things. Clearly this person who the narrator is pining over or notices is saying things that they don't believe with or that they don't jive with and therefore they've closed off their mind they're being a bit insulting i did love the line i said my sign was stop and she should really quit while she's behind huh whereas in like i can tell you what you're thinking or what your mind is based on the day you were born so therefore this person believes in astrology ah uh, yes okay but then the fact that he goes, I had an epiphany, signs are missed on me. Yeah. So I feel like that means that it's in like, okay, well, if I'm going to believe in her, I may as well believe in flat earth. As in like, that's just what the narrator has convinced themselves to be like, oh, well, this person's talking crap because it's almost as ridiculous as the flat earth is. But then I feel like the bridge, and again, just my interpretation is, ah, crap, I really should have had more of an open mind and not insulted this person. Hmm. Yeah, no, because I think I now have a handle on what the song is about. Okay, so it's it's about Ed goes to get a haircut. Somebody next to him is talking about astrology. He laughs to himself and makes fun of this person. They get into it. He says, uh, yeah. you're full of shit and leaves and then maybe feels bad about being rude, even though obviously that person is... But what? But you say you think that there's there's like a love song part of it? Only because of I had an epiphany, signs are missed on me. Like, I couldn't read the signs. Like that this person liked you? Yes, exactly. I That's what I was thinking too. But now that you, again, because again, apparently I need to listen to things several times before I can actually understand what the hell the song is about. Once we established that astrology was the main topic that we're talking about. I think it's just signs meaning a reference to like astrological signs. What did you think musically of the song? Uh, I, what did I think musically of the song? I enjoyed listening to it, but it didn't like, like hit me like right in the face with the musicality of it. I think this is the, this is the first one that I was like really trying to pay attention to the lyrical side of it. And that's what was interesting me more Mm. about the song. The main thing that I thought about it musically was just really me saying to myself, I really like this album so far. I don't think there's any like skipperoos so far. No. So is there's nothing specific about the musicality that I really, really like other than 
just to say that there's nothing that I have been underwhelmed by so far, which is great. It's a very good assessment as we're pretty much almost halfway through the album. I could very much see why you would go to the lyrics because it's just like, well, you know it's going to be a story yep. song, so of course you got to <laughs> walk into the barbershop. Let's do it. <laughs> I originally was like, is this going to be a Kevin song? Oh, it's not when his <laughs> voice came in. And your happy, <laughs> elated surprise. Well, no. <laughs> and then my next note was, wait, is this about a haircut? <laughs> and then I stopped writing things down because I was just desperately trying to keep track of what was going on narratively. Is he getting a flat top? Is that a flat earth? Is he talking about hair? That's No, that's exactly where I was going. I was like, wait, is it flat earth referring to like his head, the earth, and his haircut? The J. Jonah Jameson haircut that we've been talking, he talked about in the other song? Is that what we're talking about? Oh, well, yeah. And that song, co-written by Danny Michelle, uh, who is an artist that a ton of friends of mine from high school really, really liked, who I have never listened to a single song of theirs. Oh, right on. But there you go. It'd be very interesting to go back and listen to some of Danny's songs and see if there was an influence mm-hmm. on Ed. Yeah. Again, after 30 years, and they now bring in new collaborators, it's always interesting to see mm-hmm. if that actually would have an influence. I could very much see this song. It still is in that kind of fun, whimsical vein that the Bare Naked Ladies are known for. But it would be curious to see if this is in tune with what Danny Michelle does. Yeah. All right. Track seven and the first Jim Cregan song, apparently, here together. Oh, spoiler alert. If I could remember to feel the sun. I wouldn't miss a second of the fun Nothing lasts forever You just say whatever and you change the song Yes, spoiler, Jim Cregan, I'm sorry, but still voice of an angel. Still to this day, it's hard to tell because we keep pausing, but I think this record is flowing together really, really well. It really is. I think if I was listening to it the whole way through without talking to a good friend in between each song, it would like be a really nice like sequential experience. It really would. It would be, you know, one of those things where if you had this on at a dinner party with really good friends, it would flow really well. Unless we were the two people who were there with other people and we pause at each song and say, now let's discuss. They'd be like, where's the fucking roast? <laughs> Someone was going to make me a cocktail. <laughs> the ice is melting. What did you think about this song, Chris? I loved it. Yeah. I am really vibing what Jim Cregan does on every album in recent times. And it's funny because I think I talked about it last episode on Fake Nudes and we kind of came to a consensus that it's very weird that Kevin Hearn had like seven songs Hmm. on that album and Jim had one. I think it's because he doesn't do as much writing. Yeah. I think that's why. I think it's because they all like gravitate towards performing their own songs. And I think Kevin is just more of a songwriter than than Jim is. That makes a lot of sense because, and especially also because the stuff that he does is so different from the rest of each album. So far, this song is very different from everything else on the album, but in a really cool way. It's so beautiful. And the message about being present is so, so important to me again. If we're talking about nothing lasts forever, I'm still trying to feel the sun on me. I'm like, we've talked about this in previous episodes and it's come up thematically in their lyrics previously, just being present. 
it's specifically come up in Jim's lyrics previously because I was also furiously Googling while we were listening to that song to figure out which song it was reminding me of. And it was um, On the Lookout from your favorite Bare Naked Ladies album, All in Good Time. What a classic, he said sarcastically. This all will pass just like this spot, just like us. That thing, because that was also a song about like being present in the moment and connecting with the person that you're with. And yeah, it reminded me a lot lyrically of that song, but musically, this reminded me a lot. This sounded very Gordon-y to me, which is kind of weird because Jim didn't sing on Gordon. Oh, that's so interesting. I can very much see that. And I think that kind of shapes my opinion of it sounding so different because we talked about how Gordon bring the jazz back. Like yeah. just about how Gordon and their early albums, you don't really hear that influence that much. But this, yeah, mm. this could very easily be on Gorgon, especially the fact that it just had that minute instrumental outro when's the last time they did something like that yeah and had jim kind of doing some like vaguely scat singing kind of stuff but like gentle like not like speedily like not that kind of let's not go crazy let's not go crazy here (laughs) but like yeah um just a really really sweet love song yeah thematically really really good i like how much it reminds me of gordon the stand-up bass is really really high in the mix and i like that uh jim's voice is beautiful as normal i think it flows really well in the sequencing yeah digging it yeah, A plus, A plus. Yeah. Also, um, co-written by someone as well, um, James Brian McCollum, who is a guitarist for the Philosopher Kings, and also oh. he was the guitarist for Prozac. What? Like, sucks to be you, strange disease, animated dance pop duo Prozac. How does he know Jim Cregan? When would those two have ever crossed paths? The Kawartha Dairy while picking up some Picard (laughs) chips. Prozac is Canadian? They are, yeah. I did not know that. All right. Learn something new every day with our comedy jokes and music history podcast. Oh, man. Speaking of being present, Prozac should learn a thing or two from those lyrics because enjoy their fame while they had it. Oh, gee. Oof. Oof. That's mean on Prozac. I really enjoyed Prozac back in the 90s. I'm talking about the band, not the pills. Track eight, roll out. Well, we've um, we found the first dud. Why? My question was going to be, why does Ed want to be the Black Eyed Peas? Why does Ed want to be Pitbull? Is is it just him or is it the whole band? I don't know. All I know is they're going to drive around in circles. Yeah, drive around in circles, drive around in circles, drive around in circles. Listening to this song, I felt like the whole band for the video for this song should be on the prow of a yacht in Miami. <laughs> in tuxes and sunglasses, and that's not their vibe. This is the hardest they've gone for that vibe. I think there was a couple songs on their, like there was exactly one song on Fake Nudes and Silverball that went for that feeling, but they didn't, they went maybe like 50% there and I still wasn't living for it. This turns that up to 11 and I don't like it. If this was a single, I would be very upset, but it wasn't. But why even put this on the album if it's, if it's not, a single. That's the entire point of writing a song like this. Again, not that it's good, but... Yeah, well, it's funny that you say that, because 
it's inoffensive enough not to be skipped at a dinner party, for instance, but I wouldn't actively seek it out. Yeah. Like, it's a song that, if this album was playing in the car or whatever, and this song came on, I'd be like, okay, well, this is the natural sequencing. But in today's day and age where you make playlists... This is not going on any playlists ever for me. And it's not going to be a song where I'm going to say, oh, you know what? I kind of feel like listening to this one specific song. Hey, Google, play that song. It's a weird filler to get to the next song. Well, good thing I've got this on vinyl and won't be able to skip it whenever I listen to the record. <laughs> if you look hard enough for the grooves, you should be able to get really good at Um <laughs> I know how turntables work, Christopher. So it's funny that you say it reminds you or there were songs that they kind of went for that vibe. And I love the descriptor of just like tuxedos in Miami. Yeah. On a boat. Specifically, they have to be on a yacht. Yeah, yeah except they're not self-parodying themselves. They're being very genuine. I'm not, See, I'm not sure. I feel like there's just a little bit of there's not enough self-parody. Yeah, and that's the weird thing. I could see them kind of doing wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But yeah, you're right. It's yeah, it's odd. It kind of reminds me of bringing it home from fake nudes. I don't know if that was the song that you were thinking of on fake nudes, but it yeah. kind of had that. Yeah, it's it reminds me of bringing it home. And it reminds me of did I say that out? Did I say that out loud from uh, Grinning Streak? But again, like turned up to 11. I'm still sad that you don't like did I say that out loud? I don't. Yeah. Throw your hands up in the air. Wave them like you care. I, I do care, Edward. But that's okay. We're allowed to have differing opinions. Yes. But I mean, it also yeah. had three writers on this song. And I just looked up, again, because we were not allowed to do yep. pre-research because this is a live listen. I just looked up the third writer. And I'm surprised because this is the type of person I was expecting was going to be a co-writer on Live Well. Because, again, it's like a top 40 country songwriter, a guy named Craig Wiseman. His songs have been recorded by, like, Tim McGraw, uh, Kenny Chesney, who I made a joke about earlier, Dolly Parton, Blake Shelton. Oh, wow. Apparently, he's written 26 number one songs on the Billboard Hot Country Songs chart. Wow. And, like, BNL is not a country band, but they're folk adjacent. Like, Alan Doyle isn't a country artist either, but now that he's broken up with Great Big C, like, all of his music is played on CMT in Canada. I don't know if it's, like, Ed talking to Alan Doyle and Jim Cuddy from Blue Rodeo and, like, trying to get into, like, vaguely into the country market is why they decided to reach out to this songwriter. I don't know. I don't think the experiment worked, though. Yeah, and, and again, if you're going to recruit someone who has got 26 number one hit singles. Exactly to your point, why wouldn't you release this as a single? Thank goodness they didn't. I think because it's not very good. I think they listened and they're like, we paid this asshole how much money? $50,000 for Tainer? A million dollars? Get him out, get him out. Track nine? Yeah, track nine. Track nine, Bylaw. So I went outside and I said to him, hey, I'm trying to sleep. It's 7 a.m. Then he looked at me with a mischievous grin and said, That is when I can begin. Cause there's a bylaw, a bylaw, and I can start work at 7. There's a bylaw, and bylaw, it's time to wake up, Kevin. Oh, that was interesting now you guys again can't see this because this is a audio podcast but uh ephraim being an actor has a very expressive face uh <laughs> me doing comedy before i also think i have an expressive face and you do. man the looks that the looks that we were pulling uh just it, it's uh 
what do you think? Uh, so after that, like, girl from Ipanema kind of opening that the song has, I was like, oh, unexpected Kevin song. I didn't know who was going to sing this. Kevin's songs are very domestic on this record so far. Singing about a garbage truck waking him up in the morning. I love this. I love this song. Don't ask me why this works for me and Big Backyard doesn't. I don't know. I have no idea what it is about this song that I can't get enough of when it's similar to the other one that I didn't like very much. I have no idea why, but there is something ineffable about this song. I love it. It's so funny. It's very, very funny. It's very witty. It's amazing. I love it. Some of their off-kilter songs and a couple of things that are a bit weird sometimes we don't have the same opinion on. Like, I'm looking at you kind of four seconds from All in Good Time. Still hate it. And I know that you were a fan. Uh, This, I completely agree. I am so on board, especially when you think of it as this weird hidden album that Kevin Hearn is doing, talking about a big backyard. And then the next song, he just goes into it and continues and talking about in my big backyard, I got woken up by some prick (laughs) next to me talking about. And it's just so domestic, exactly like you said, the passive aggressive neighbor shit. Just he said with a grin, hey, I can start work whenever I want at 7 (laughs) a.m. That's what the local bylaws say. This is, I don't know, there's, maybe it's, uh, there's, my brother-in-law was training to become a Toronto bylaw enforcement officer at one point, so maybe there's something personal that, like, gels with me about this song, but yeah, I, I can't get enough of it. I'm, I'm here for this. It's great. The moment of silence in the middle of it, I honestly thought that was the end of the song, and then it just kept going, and then there was that weirdly serious bridge yeah. that I don't quite know what to make of. If I was going to go into anything, which I kind of like about this, because it does get kind of absurd in the middle, and my stab at it, at just, you know, talking about the 7-Eleven bridge, which is very funny, just repeating 7-Eleven, I'd like to imagine that it's literally stream of consciousness, and he's telling himself time to wake up, so he's just, it's things that he would say in his sleep, or he's just kind of interpreting, and then it's like, time to wake up, oh, it's a beautiful day, but it's just, it's very, very good, and he's finding his feet as a lyricist because I do love there's a bylaw and by law it's time to wake up Kevin (laughs) and he mentions himself by name in the song it's great thank god his name rhymes with seven seriously right in the middle because seven like there's a bit in the middle of the seven eleven seven eleven seven eleven stop and then there's that break and then the next lyric is the last time I cried and I'm like what What a twist! This song is very surprising. On multiple levels, I'm here for it. Yeah, it may be my new favorite Kevin song, and I can't explain why. Yep, me too. Our next track, track 10, God Forbid. God forbid You and I Ever find better words to describe How we can't Run and hide from the fears in the back of our minds. And I know that it's not how we live, but we still say, God forbid. Uh, beautiful, beautiful song. 
yeah very much enjoyed this uh i was not surprised when again just looking it up because i had a hunch when you were talking to me earlier about donovan woods co-writing credit on this and it makes a lot of sense because his fingerprints are all over the song in the very best of ways mm-hmm. that being said i do like this version but having listened to donovan woods version a bunch i think i'd like his version better so is the idea that did he also put this out on his album too? Yeah, yeah. It, he didn't release it as a single. They both released, um, both BNL and Donovan Woods released, uh, God forbid, and another one coming up as like deep in the record tracks on both of their latest records. I can very much see why you would prefer the Donovan Woods one because having not heard either version, all I could hear was his voice. Yeah. As I was listening yeah. to this. But that being said, Ed does a very, very good job, and I think it's a beautiful song, both lyrically and musically. Mm-hmm. I think the the accordion is really, really great. You don't, like, they used to do a lot of more heavy accordion stuff earlier, like, especially in the, I guess, mostly just on Gordon. So I'd like to hear that that was back. I really like that, too. And that's something that's very, very different from the Donovan Woods version as well. Anyone who's listening and hasn't checked out Donovan Woods, you really should absolutely amazing singer-songwriter from Sarnia, Ontario. Ephraim and I, I might be speaking out of line, but I know I got privy to him. I think you said too when he performed at Comedy Bar yeah. many, many years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, I had never heard him before. And yeah, Chris and I went to a show called Sunday Night Live at Comedy Club in Toronto. That's kind of like the format was they were trying to do a Saturday Night Live type thing, so they had a musical guest, and the musical guest was, at this time, the hadn't blown up yet Donovan Woods, and I was just blown away, just this one dude with his guitar. Yeah, beautiful voice, beautiful songwriter, absolutely amazing. Buy all of his records right now. Really nice guy, too. He's very much tied into the comedy community in yeah. Toronto as well, because his wife, Meredith, is um, performing formed with a sketch duo as well mm -hmm. uh, and they were absolutely amazing and they have a kid now i think they do yeah, yeah. They, they do have a kid and yeah he is blowing up like you said you know portland maine is a massive oh, song of his such a good song stream everything he's done a lot of stuff um and a lot of his songs have been on a whole bunch of uh shows well now including degrassi the next generation oh i didn't know that great hmm. <laughs> but yeah i i'm very very curious to go listen to the donovan woods version now just from a lyrical standpoint and it's funny because i really wasn't paying attention as much because i just kind of went oh man this is <laughs> this is donovan woods all, all all through it but the idea of just god forbid being a spiritual thing and not a religious thing i think is very cool and a very deep message you know even though i don't believe he exists or even though i wasn't raised that way i still say god forbid because that's an expression that just sums up a lot of the things that i'm worried about so for mm -hmm. that i think it's very cool all right, so even though this is a Bare Naked Lays podcast, everyone, including myself, should go and listen to the Donovan Woods version of this song on Spotify. And while you're at it, listen to the rest of that album, because I'm sure it's dynamite. Yeah, and he's still got more to contribute to this record, so. Ah, foreshadowing. Track 11 is named after someone. Paul Chambers, track 11. Jazz! 
the jazz. Jim's bringing the jazz back. The jazz is back. 11 to 14. I can't remember how many records there are. 14-ish records in. Jim has finally brought back the jazz. Hey, guys, have you heard about this cool new experimental music taking the world by storm called jazz? (laughs) Jim Cregan invented it. No, he didn't. Another really sweet and heartfelt love song from Jim Cregan. You had said prior that you know a Paul Chambers. Is this the same Paul Chambers? Is Paul Chambers a musician friend of yours? I did not say that I knew Paul Chambers. I said that I had to look up Paul Chambers in the other window because there was a song named after him. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> I imagine he's some sort of jazz player. Uh, he most definitely is, and it sounds like he did play with Miles Davis, which would be the kind of blue reference uh, that is in the song. So it turns out I didn't need to know much about this very, very famous jazz bassist before listening to this song. This research was not necessary. Everything you need to know about him is in the song. Well, no, because you know him personally. Close personal friend of Ephraim Ellis, Paul Chambers. This- Again, I never said that I knew him personally. I not- this is, No, this is me misinterpreting things because I'm a very bad listener sometimes. I did we'll not ch- live in 1969 when this man unfortunately passed away. You look amazing for your age, and I'm very impressed that you were able to stay away from all that heroin that was being passed around at that time, too. It was it was tough, but I stuck it out. I really liked this song. Yeah, me too. Smooth, beautiful. It's not as high up on the list as Here Together. I think I prefer that song. But mm-hmm. this is just a nice kind of, I guess, bossa nova kind of like the tempo uh, kind of going on. I like the sentiment. Again, it's just a, a love song. And co-written by someone else as well, Mike Evan. Yeah, who I meant to look up earlier, and he is not, like, nearly as famous as that, like, big, like, number one country hits guy from earlier, or anything like that. He's just, a like, a folk musician who runs with the same Bare Naked Ladies crew and stuff. He has a bunch of records, goodness gracious me. And arguably produced a better song than the 26 number one hit guy at a fraction of the price probably goes to show you yeah i really like the like the 1960s kind of feel to this song again like jim does a crooner thing really really well and that's really where this song was sitting for me i really liked the central kind of wordplay in the chorus of uh like the chord changes versus life changes i thought that was a really nice turn of phrase all in all yeah great song i dig it Looking up more about Mike Evan, it's very funny. Apparently his second album had every single Bare Naked Lady on it except for Ed Robertson. And it was co-produced by Jim and a ghost, Andy Cregan, R.I.P. So that must have been a haunted production studio there. Well, they must have like held a seance or something like that over the mixing board. They got Gordon Lightfoot in to soothe the ghost. <laughs> and I'm a ghost and you're a ghost and... <laughs> Everyone here is definitely a ghost. It's really nice and refreshing when, like, a gym song does come on because, and especially now when, yeah, he is kind of going back to those roots of the first album. But it's not enough of a change that it just abruptly stops the album, but it's a nice just change of pace in the middle of it. So I think if we're talking about sequencing again, I don't know if you still agree, but I do think that the sequencing still is quite good in this album when you were saying it before. I, I tend to agree, and I think that it's still keeping on that trajectory oh yeah absolutely especially because like it this is also like a slower song and it follows god forbid which is also a slower song i don't think that 
the sequencing is jarring putting this in, even though the genre is quite different, it, this being more of a straight-up jazz song. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. All right. This is nice. So far, that it seems as though uh, everything that the critics said uh, we're tending to agree with. It's a good album so far. Just that one side A to side B change on track eight. Ugh. I really hope that rollout is going to be an easily skippable one for you. Ugh, I'm going <laughs> to... Uh, and here's hoping it keeps up with track 12, The National Park. Hey, was that a rhinoceros? The park ranger said, of course it was. One of the last left in the wild. And the wild is a thousand miles. Of National Park. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on this one first. You're always putting me on the spot first, man. All right. I've got one big note then, and then I'll put you is, boy, did that song overstay its welcome. Yes. Okay. One of my big notes on this was, I don't like that. The darkness is a third of the song. It's a four and a half minute song, and the only lyrics after minute three is just the darkness, the darkness, the darkness. It's interesting because, again, as we're both doing, we're writing notes as it's going. And the first note I put is, I like it, but it's getting grating because of the repetitiveness of his lyrics or relying on that repetition. All of his songs so far, and it's something that he does a lot, is he repeats a lot of the same lyrics, and it's definitely a style that he goes for. And I wrote this before he even got to the darkness part. This was just about National Park, so you can imagine my chagrin, where at that moment I went, oh shit. I opened up the lyrics in in another window because we we had been talking earlier about how I need to pay more attention to lyrics and it's harder for me when it's a first listen, but then I open up the lyrics for this and I just saw a big block of the darkness, the darkness, the darkness, the darkness, the darkness at the bottom of the page. I was like, oh, this is going to take a turn at some point. And then same thing, you went four minutes. (laughs) (laughs) That being said, on the whole, I actually really like this a lot. Yeah, I mean, the, the arrangement is great. Like musically, there's a lot of stuff going on which is cool what specifically do you like about it uh this sounds a bit ironic now that we were harping on him for the repetition of the phrase the darkness but right off the top before i knew that that was going to be a thing i wrote down uh, i like how dark this sounds (laughs) (laughs) so i kind of liked that it was a darker sounding song i like the lyrical content i like that it's kind of talking about how weird it is kind of like man's relationship with nature in general i really liked the the kind of like triplet lyric of uh, was the world all once like this but now nature's like a work of art and exhibition in the national park i really liked that as kind of a concept to build a song around yeah about how civilization has encroached on national spaces and put them in exhibits in the form of, of parks and things. And I kind of liked the the repetition of just the national park as the chorus phrase, because it's less of it's less that the song has choruses and more of it just has that chorus phrase that's repeated yes. after some of the, the verses. 
that's all stuff I really, really like about it. I really like Kevin's harmonizing with himself at the end. Mm. Yeah, don't get me wrong. The repetitiveness of his lyrics, it wasn't like I went, ah, oh, the National Park, because I agree it works. It's just, it's tough because the three songs that he's had on this album, he's doing the same thing. But again, that's his style. It's funny that you talk about, yeah, the entire theme of this. I think Kevin Hearn is just, you know, an environmental champion, which is because yeah. a lot of his songs he's talked about that stuff just likes talking about animals he was talking about buffaloes in his backyard before now he's talking about rhinoceroses in a national park which i assumed was take this song was taking place in canada but maybe it's not i don't know if there's rhinos roaming around algonquin they should probably post signs about that if there are the one thing about the darkness that i did kind of like it just kind of reminded me of the flag speaking of gordon yeah which is funny because he wasn't even on that album but you know, the flag said it a few times, but it did have that at the beginning. I wish that I had done what you did and saw the entire block of darkness. It's just a block of text. It's very funny to look at the lyrics written down for that song. Yeah, weirdly enough, the only other thing I have to say about this song is that while I was listening to the song, uh, I just kept on thinking, you know, I was too hard on Big Backyard. That song was good. It's very funny because I kind of want to go back and listen to it now. It's true. That's the weird thing of doing this as an off-the-cuff first impressions kind of thing. Because I'm sure those impressions yeah. will change. Uh, shall we move on? Absolutely. Track 13, second last of the album, Man Made Lake. What was that smile I made? I was on need-to-know basis. And I didn't need to know that. I didn't even know it was a man-made lake I remember you so clearly Driving home from a party People never said shit those days I'm laying in the back seat staring At the headlights glaring Moving the opposite way So I know that you said I put you on the spot and I feel bad about that but yeah. there was a very interesting look on your face right there where you're like huh at the end so curious to know what, what you were thinking and what your thoughts are of this one this being the second Donovan Woods song okay so you course. beat me you beat me to my my first question I was gonna say before I tell you my thoughts I would like to know do you think this is the second Donovan Woods song immediately it sounds like it right yes like there's something about the phrasing that like it sounds like it should be Donovan Woods singing it which says a lot about when an artist has a style like that. If you listen to a song and you go, especially just like a lyricist being like, this could be a Donovan Woods song. That's huge. Yeah. I'm now wondering how how much, because they wrote both of those two songs together, Ed and Donovan, and I'm wondering how much, because they both sound so much more like Donovan songs than Ed songs. So I'm just wondering what came out of that process or like who put what into that process. Um... The look on my face that you were wondering about was that, so I think I also like Donovan Wood's version of this song better than the Bare Naked Ladies version. Um, I'm so sorry, guys. I'm doing a podcast about your band, though, so th th you've still got that in your corner. But Donovan Wood's version is three minutes, and this version is five minutes? Interesting. And I'm just wondering why that is, and I think the three minutes is a better choice, especially because, like... Yeah, there was just like a like a Foley art outro there for like a good 45 seconds. I'm just wondering why they made that choice. And maybe I'm losing something because we're pausing in between tracks and I'm not just going right into the next song. But I don't know. No, it's very interesting that you say that because this is 
right now, just looking at the track listings as I'm pulling up the lyrics, it's the longest song on the album. Mm-hmm. And one of my notes was, funny enough, you said that, that this seems very slow in tempo and it doesn't have to. So if Donovan Woods' one is three minutes and the tempo is just a bit quicker, I could very much appreciate that probably more. But it's also, like the Donovan Woods version is also still pretty slow and contemplative. Mm in the way that a lot of his songs are. It's just that extended outro, which is kind of weird, but yeah. Be sure to subscribe to our Patreon-only podcast, The Donovan Woods Hour. (laughs) (laughs) I sense a season four, season five? I don't know. Would you listen with Donovan Woods? Nah, that's we'll we'll workshop that. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I think it's a lovely song. It's, yeah, I I think that, it's funny, that was my only quip. I think it's just too long. I think it's a little bit too long, and I definitely like the Donovan Woods version better. And now that you've said that, because I didn't even think about that, but yeah, what did Ed contribute? Not in a mean way, but just more Mm -hmm. like, because these are so distinctly (laughs) Donovan Woods songs, just what, even the arrangements. Maybe it was Mm -hmm. Ed saying, oh, we got to put my stamp on this. Uh, Let's get some of that loon sound. I'm going to go up to my (laughs) cottage. I'm going to record three hours of loons on the water. Ed just contributed his property? That's it? Not his creativity? Just... I don't mean to brag, but I got a cottage in the Muskokas, so... Uh. Soundscapes are important. Just call me Bonnie Vare. <laughs> you ever see that Saturday Night Live sketch about Jay-Z and Beyonce having their baby and Bonnie Vare coming over to sing it a lullaby and then Bonnie Vare puts himself to sleep? No, but that sounds absolutely amazing based on that description alone. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably everything that needs to be said about that track. Would you agree? Yeah, other than, like, it sounds like we're being overly negative. I like that song a lot. Like, even though I like the Donovan Woods song better, I really like that song a lot. I think it's great. I think it's nice and slow. I think it is suited to Ed's voice. It kind of uh, makes me wonder what they've got teed up for the last track, because I feel like certainly it can't be a slower one, but maybe I'll be surprised. Excellent segue. Final track of the album, 14, Internal Dynamo. Well, that was a ride. That that was indeed a ride. What an emotional roller coaster internal dynamo was. Goodness gracious. A first note I put when you pontificated, maybe we're losing something in pausing and maybe the soundscape makes sense. I think the soundscape makes sense now based on that intro out of Man Made Lake into this. I went, oh, okay. I, I think that transition between the transition between these two songs will go over a lot better when I'm listening to this like all in a row on vinyl. I think this is what happens when you release something on your own label because I feel like Rhino would not have let them get away with this. Like I'm here for it. I'm digging it. But This feels risky. I like it. Yeah, it's definitely a swing at the rafters. I don't know why I put this is like their version of Money for Nothing, but Kevin Hearn is playing the role (laughs) of Sting. (laughs) (laughs) Just based on that very long intro, and I was waiting for the break to come out, and it did, and oh, went in there full force. Man, did it hit. Tyler finally got some lead vocal lead vocal. Yes, okay. Damn. 
Damn. That was gonna be my question because I put here first who raps and then second I'm guessing the knocking me down like dominoes that big rock. It's just Kevin and Ty on this. If it's not Kevin, it's Tyler. Love it. It's awesome. Dropping some like early 2000s Zach De La Rocha bullshit all over this record. Zach De so Rocha good. bullshit. I love it. Um, the only reason I went, oh, this has got to be Tyler is based on their cover of Whole Lot of Love by Led Zeppelin they do at live shows. And yep. Tyler does lead vocals for that and he gets so fucking into it. I'm just like, yeah, this is exactly like you said. I'm so happy that it's his moment in the spotlight. It's, oh, it was so good. Absolutely fantastic. And this song, how long is this song? The song is five and a half minutes or something like that. I feel like Tyler's bit in that was surely only like, 45 seconds to a minute. I wanted it to be twice as long. I would like this song to be four minutes, not five and a half minutes. And I would like twice as much Tyler in that four, four minute span. But that's just me. No, it's not just you because one of the notes I did have was it feels incomplete. Maybe not shortening it, but like, I feel like I was waiting the entire time after they did that big break to it, for it to come back again. Yeah, me too. It needed to come back at least a second time because it just kind of comes out as a big bang for that, like, yeah, 45 seconds to a minute. And then, like, I thought they're going to go slow and then yeah. come back up again, but it never came back up again. Yeah. So it was very odd that they did that, like you said, right in the middle, only those 45 seconds. And I was just waiting. And then when I looked at the remaining time in the track, I just kind of went, oh, OK. Oh, well. But that minute in which it was happening, what a minute. My question to you, was this one of the songs they did live at the show you saw? It was absolutely not. <laughs> okay. Absolutely not. Though Tyler did come out and do a bunch of lead vocals right at the end, but I think he like did like a cover of Iron Man. He did like some Sabbath. No, yeah, that was it. He did Iron Man going into Feliz Navidad because it was because it was Christmas. A natural segue if I ever heard one. Natural, natural segue. It worked really, really well. Speaking of working really well, what do you think of this as the end track? I feel like this it's the only place it could be on this album, really. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's nowhere else for this to go other than at the very end. And I'm okay that they listed it on the back, but I feel like they even could have just not listed it in the track listing. Oh, just a hidden track. Called it a hidden track? it has that kind of like weird experimental feel. My favorite thing about it being a hidden track, if that's the case, is that it gets into that and people are like, Donovan Woods wrote this? <laughs> if they hadn't been paying attention and counting how many tracks it had been. But no, on the back of the vinyl, it is listed. It is listed. And also, thankfully, Roll Out is the last track on side B, so I can totally just skip it. I can just press stop. This was a lot of fun. Impressions of the album overall off the bat, Ephraim? Um, I think this might be spoiling a bit of our next Ooh. episode, but we've been doing this at the end of every episode is saying where we think that everything gets ranked in order of our favorite albums. Um, and I was not expecting this to be super duper high on the list. And maybe this is just like a first impressions, like the sheen staying on something. And maybe this will lower down the more I listen to it. But right now, this is like, smack dab in the middle of my favorite Bare Naked Ladies records. I would have thought it would, you know, like newer stuff usually ends up going like in the bottom quarter because nothing's going to beat the stuff that you grew up loving. But this is like just past everything to everyone. This is definitely my favorite record of theirs that they've put out since Grinning Streak. 
and Grinning Streak was my favorite that they've released since Steve left. So this is my second favorite record of theirs uh, since the big historical break. I very much tend to agree with all of that. Grinning Streak will never be topped in terms of the post-Stephen Page era. I mean, I say that, but they could always surprise us. But that's such a high benchmark. This probably, yeah, same thing. Probably second favorite from that era. I might have to Mm -hmm. re-listen to Silverball, because I think that really was a pleasant surprise, as we both said. Going back and revisiting it, I very much enjoyed it more than I remember on my first initial listen. And I think that's what's really nice about this album is that we had to kind of revisit Silverball. We had to revisit Fake Nudes based on our our initial listens. That also might be one of the reasons that I didn't listen to the singles when they came out. There was that just hesitation, just kind of saying, oh no, is it going to be that same letdown? But this, and maybe it is also compounded by the fact that I'm listening to it with a really good friend. We're doing this on the air, which is fun, but I very much agree. I think this probably would be definitely not top five, but well within the top 10. There are 13 in total of the of the ones that we've done as episodes so that far. That is correct. And that's actually probably a good segue into our second season. So of course we started this podcast just thinking that, you know, we'd go through the chronological studio discography of the Bare Naked Ladies. We've arrived at that. And, you know, we have way more listeners than we ever thought we would. So thank you very much for everyone who is listening. It's been a lot of fun. I'm continually surprised and very thankful for all of you listening in wherever you are right now. Thanks for joining us on this. Uh, We have a really fun time doing it, and we hope that you're having a really fun time listening. Yes, and we're having such a fun time doing it, and hopefully you're still having a fun time listening, that there's still plenty more stuff. Just because they've run out of studio albums doesn't mean that we've run out of stuff to talk to. So season two, just as a a sneak preview, there's live albums that we'll cover. uh, There's novelty albums that we'll cover. There's B-sides we're going to cover. And we're also finally going to get into things that we've been alluding to pretty much at the end of every episode. Next, Ephraim and I have agreed that we're going to go through, finally, it's going to happen. It's been way too long. And we're actually going to be doing our top albums for each of us, ranking them down favorite to least favorite. It's going to spark a lot of friendly discussion. Uh, And then we're going to talk about the individual songs. I think we'll do a top 10 for that, I'd imagine. Our top 10 Bare Naked Lady songs just across the board. If there's one thing that I know about the internet is that people love lists. And our next episode is going to have four lists. Two from each of us. We're going to talk about them. We're going to share our opinions. It's going to be a fun ride. So BuzzFeed, What Culture, Watch Mojo. If you want to get on this sweet train, we don't have advertisers yet, but... It's not quite a listicle when it's in audio, but we're we're going to jump on that train. It's going to be great. <laughs> and before we release that, Ephraim, where can people find you? So I am continually on Instagram at Ephraim Ellis, and I feel like it's been such a long time since the last episode we recorded. Did I tell you I'm back on Twitter now? You are, yes, and you have told me that that you are back on Twitter, yes. <laughs> okay, so I'm back on Twitter, and I am also at Ephraim Ellis. That's spelled like my name. So yeah, just those major two ones. Addy from Ellis. Check me out. And you can find me on Twitter at csmall201. You can find me on Instagram at csmalltraveler. Uh, while you're on Twitter, go follow our official Clothed Men Discuss Bare Naked Ladies Twitter feed, which is at cmdbnl. Uh, we mostly just retweet a lot of stuff about Bare Naked Ladies, so hey. Kel Supreze. Kel Supreze. <laughs> Social media, it, it's hard. 
And I'm going to get into a good habit on our second season episodes, making sure I shout out these two people uh, at the end of every episode as well. Our podcast cover artwork is done by Jerusha Ellis, and our opening theme, opening and closing theme music is done by Jonathan Langdon. Yes, Jonathan Langdon, if you are listening to this in Canada, shout out to him as well. Um, he has just wrapped up starring and co-writing in a CBC series called Run the Burbs. Oh shit, he's on that? I didn't know that. That's awesome. That our good friend and fellow rocket scientist uh, member Brandon Hackett is also a writer on. So make sure that you are checking out Run the Burbs on CBC. I've got a VPN in Australia so I can watch and it's totally legal, I think. You can't get gem? You can't get CBC gem in Australia? Yeah, man. It's the Commonwealth, but it's a different country, so... Well, I guess we don't have licensing fees, at least. (laughs) Everyone in Australia thinks that Canada are socialist commies, so, you know. (laughs) What? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a whole thing. That's another podcast uh, for another time. Yeah. Uh, but until then, uh, I am Chris Small. And I'm Ephraim Ellis. And we, and have, we have been clothed the whole time. Take it easy.